Welcome to Alter Everything, a podcast about data science and analytics culture. I'm Brian Oblinger, and I'll be your host. We're joined by Andrew Durback for a conversation about how his musical background led to a career in analytics. Let's get right into it. Andrew, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Awesome. So uh, let's get started with you. Tell us a little bit about you and kind of where you come from. Yeah. So uh, my name's Andrew Derbeck, and I am the business manager for Master Data Management at Schnook Markets in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, born and raised. So um, kind of a strange journey of my life, but I've, uh, I've gone from you know, working at a small business, um, like a small produce company, to working at a small music shop, to studying music, and then eventually switching over on a long, windy path to grocery retail and working my way through the analytics side of that. So it's, it's been a very interesting journey. All right, cool. So some, some interesting sort of weaving your way through. How did you talk to me about the music part? How does that kind of connect to analytics for you? Yeah. So, um, when I was growing up, you know, just like everybody, uh, especially going through high school, they always wanted to be in a band. So I started learning guitar and, um, I found out that it wasn't like you could just instantly pick up guitar and play it. So you had to actually kind of figure some things out and and actually, um, over time I learned you, you learn how to learn if that makes any sense. Mm. So, um, picking up the guitar and, and trying to figure out how to read music, how to play the same songs that you hear on the radio, I had to really kind of dig deep and understand what was going on. Um, one of the neat things about learning music, uh, and how it kind of transposed into a data career is that you really learn to focus your attention and, and dig into, um, into what's going on around you. So, you know, a lot of us, we just, we'll see spreadsheets and, and we'll see lots of numbers and we'll see things going on, lots of columns and features and whatnot. Just like you might listen to songs on the radio. It's kind of like a glancing pass, you know, at it. But um, with music, you get to really focus your attention in and with analysis, you're really kind of figuring out what's going on underneath all those levels and layers and, and what's causing it all. Um, sometimes it's really simple and, and you're going, okay, much like a three-chord song, this spreadsheet is really just summarizing data. But other times when you get into like predictive analytics, it's kind of like really learning to play. It's like playing Eruption from Van Halen, you know? <laughs> you, as soon as you can do it, you're like, oh, this is so sweet. <laughs> yeah, so... Um I, uh, I've been known to play a little six string. I never quite got to eruption. So congratulations on that, uh, for you. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, and, and so, you know, one of the things that's interesting is we talk about learning and, and how you learn, everybody has a little bit slightly different way of going about it. And it sounds like yours was just the, you know, we're going to throw you in the deep end, right? We're just going to pick this thing up and, and start, start cranking away at it. Is that how you, how you typically roll? Yeah. I mean, um, one thing that, that, I always try to take an approach of is just immerse yourself in it. So it's not anything that anybody's inherently born with is to understand how to play an instrument. I mean, you'll see those kids that are on YouTube that are playing guitar at like age five and they're playing way better than I have. And it makes me (laughs) sick to my stomach to watch them. But um, much like you might have someone who who's really good at at understanding statistics and mathematics. um, But 
with all of that, you got to really kind of throw yourself in the mix of things. And um, much like learning any kind of language, really, you know, the more that you can join groups that have, uh, that speak the same language or, or that talk about data or that play music, I'm kind of jumping around from, from topic to topic on that, but the more you can immerse yourself in it with the like, like people, um, speak the language, so to speak, so to say, uh, it, it pays off. Um, so I'm not a big fan of, you know, dipping my toe in the water. I'd rather like stick my whole foot in. And then if that feels okay, then I'm just going to jump right in. So, yeah, yeah, totally agree. Okay. So, uh, you, you were talking earlier about kind of your, your career path and how you got to where you're at. Maybe tell us a little bit about what is, what did that path look like? What does it mean when you, you know, kind of shift from career to career? Like how do you, what's, what's the mental sort of shifts that had to take place for you to, to make that happen? Yeah. So, um, yeah, to go in a little bit more in depth on, on those career path, uh, that career path and all those changes, um, when I was younger, again, you know, wanting to go into music, I, I found that, you know, I could play guitar and I could probably get by, but I wasn't going to make a whole lot off of it. So um, I was like, well, I should probably get some business sense around my my career here. So I switched from, you know, wanting to play in a band to maybe I should be like a studio musician, but I should really know how to know contracts and, and understand, you know, if I'm getting paid a fair rate and all that stuff. So I, I switched over to business administration um, in college, and that actually kind of kicked off my uh, my love for statistics and, and understanding all the aspects of business and economics and all that. So um, I kind of had that ingrained in me in college, uh, and I knew a little bit of it from small businesses that I dealt with in the, in the past, but um, basically, you know, they, they kind of grew together. So as I was learning music, I was learning a, a little bit more about how to be a a good business person. And then, um, out of college, it was, uh, I was playing in a band. I was teaching guitar. Uh, I was actually going to people's houses to teach as well. Um, as well as teaching in a studio. And I actually had an opportunity presented to where, um, a small business was looking for a music studio, um, to set up from scratch. And so I was like, well, perfect. You know, instead of being like a studio musician where you're getting paid to, go play music, um, I could teach people how to learn. And I could also have a whole bunch of teachers help me uh, and put some things together. So I ended up working for a small company here in St. Louis called LS Electronics. Um, Stands for Light and Sound Electronics. Hey, Tom. Hey, Carlos. Uh, (laughs) But uh, yeah, so I I, I developed a lesson program uh, with the business and that also kind of forced me to do some things I wasn't comfortable with at the time, like learning about search engine optimization. Um, I had to learn Photoshop and learn all these kinds of marketing and advertising practices. But on the back end of that, I also had to learn how our click rate was doing and how many people were visiting the site and how to increase that engagement. So I was, again, I was doing music and I, and I understood, you know, how to, how to kind of speak and learn a language, but then I had to like immediately transform that into a new language that was, you know, this analytics of, uh, website analytics. Um, from there, uh, I, I worked at LS electronics for a good number of years. And, uh, eventually I was kind of like, okay, now after doing things for a while, I really kind of like the business aspect and, and I had to make a, a career choice. And so I ended up switching into 
grocery retail of all places, right? Um, going straight from working on websites and, and music to now I'm telling people um, how to put product on a shelf uh, by doing space management. Um, and so that was kind of kicking off the the super nerdy seed in me. So I, I had already done some things like understanding how much uh, product to order in, how how to kind of manage people, how to how to effectively be a business person. But but here now I was helping to manage about a hundred stores uh, worth of inventories, and and helping to reduce costs wherever I could, that kind of stuff, and. Um, and that was really where I started getting into really some heavy data. Uh, so, I mean, you, you think about how many items sell through a grocery store in any given day and multiply that out by the number of grocery stores. And then, you know, just you talk about holiday selling, you talk about weekend selling, um, all those numbers, just they just get bigger and bigger. And it's, it's not quite like the capacity of what people might think of as big data, but there's certainly a, a tremendous amount of data points to look into. Um, and so after being in space management for a while, uh, which again, it, space management is, is really just a fancy word for, for how do you, how does product get on the shelf in a store? Um, where does it go? Should it be near the register or should it be near the back of the store? Um, and then in the middle or in center store, as we call it, um, where does it go on a shelf? Should it be on the top shelf? Should it be on the middle shelf, bottom, so on and so forth? But after doing that for a number of years, I ended up switching to become an analyst, uh, where I was still working with the same kinds of items, which was box goods and soups and things. And then I also switched to deli, which um, deli business is is fascinating because you're basically like a restaurant and a grocery store all in one. And so there's so much you have to kind of keep track of, uh, and you're constantly trying to reinvent the wheel to you know, bring excitement because nobody wants to go in and see the same exact options every single time. Um, there's always got to be something new and exciting out there. And so to be an analyst to say, how is this performing and, and how are you doing with this particular flavor and so on and so forth? I mean, I was really diving deep into um, some some heavy data there. Uh, and, and along those lines, it was just, it, it kind of was like, you almost, you have to be data-driven if you want to be in that role you couldn't kind of half half assets so to speak right yeah it's interesting you were you're talking before about you know I, I think we all grow up not wanting to be in business right <laughs> like mm-hmm. we're all trying to have the cool exciting fun you know sexy job where you don't have to be in business but it turns out that a lot of the things uh, a lot of a lot of roads lead there right and you're better off in the long run maybe not being a hardcore you know business person but having at least some background in that um, I definitely see that, you know, paralleled kind of in the community industry as well, where everybody's trying really hard to not be business people. But the reality is that if we want to be successful with this and we want to have really long careers doing it, you have to have at least some basis for understanding what's important to a business, how you cater to it, what are the goals going to be, and how do you navigate all of that in the end to make sure that, you know, the the business can be successful, right? Absolutely. And, and, being in a, a band at an early age, you, you get some hard knocks on the business side, you know, so you're trying to promote a concert, you're trying to make money so you can record a, uh, an album and all that. And you, you learn pretty quick 
that you have to be pretty business savvy. Otherwise, you're just going to keep losing money. And, yeah. and you don't want to do that because then then it becomes – it's not really a thing you're trying to do. It becomes a hobby, and you want to try to avoid that as much as possible. Yeah. What about the storytelling aspect? I mean, one of the things we hear from almost everybody that we talk to that's in the the analytics game, you know, they talk about the importance of – storytelling and how that's almost as important, if not more important than the data. Um, do you feel like you're, you know, certainly making music is essentially making stories. Does that have any correlation at all? Does any of those skills transferable? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, when I was young and, and first learning music, you know, there was, there was some things where, I would hear a song and I would just go, Oh, well, that sounds really cool. But then you, you hear the actual lyrics and the music and how it all meshes together as you study it. And you go, wow, this is really fascinating. You know, like what makes a sad song, a sad song, um, is not just the fact that someone says I'm sad. It's, it's how they say they're, they're sad. Um, that's, I've actually grown a, a bigger appreciation for country music for that fact that when I was younger, Oh man, you couldn't get me to listen to country music. Um, Anything that they had a twang to it, I was like, turn this off immediately. But now when I start hearing some of the lyrics, on, especially some older country, I'm like, wow, there's actually a really fascinating, heart-wrenching story going on here. Um, a lot of the the things that I do today, you know, it's you got to take people through almost that same kind of feeling. Like you can't just say results were good. You have to kind of hype it up and, and explain what's going on with the data and going you know, from point A to point B. Um, otherwise, you could have some absolutely fantastic findings, but if you can't have a data story behind it, it's going to fall a little bit flat and you're not going to get the audience reaction that you wanted. Um, and you might have something that actually saves the, uh, the company a whole bunch of money, but it might just fall on deaf ears if you don't pitch it the right way. Right, right. So tell me a little bit about this space management. You've piqued my interest here um, in terms of figuring out where products go in a store, on what shelf, and what area. What, like from an analytics perspective, what does that look like? Yeah, so basically we would <laughs> um, – it's a little bit of a visual – well, actually, the the title of the job is is for visual merchandising specialist is is what my role was was officially, um, but it was under the space management banner, and you are basically looking at a screen that has all these images of products that you can move around on the screen on a shelf, but underneath is, is are these spreadsheets worth of data um, that tells you you know not only what the product is and uh, what the size and and height width and depth of it is because you got to worry about you know you might have a hot selling item but it may not just fit on your shelf just because of size constraints um, but then you get all the the performance metrics of how much does it move um, how often is it promoted and uh, I mean I'm trying to think of all the different columns of data that are there a lot of what we looked at was you know, obviously the main performers like, Hey, this is a, a really hot selling item. There's no reason why we shouldn't be carrying this in a particular store, but there's other ones where you had to actually make assortment decisions where you go, man, this is a really unique and really cool, fascinating item, but there's just no way it's going to fit in this set. You know, we have to make some tough decisions and, uh, you have to use the, the movement data, the promotional data to kind of drive that decision. And we, we did have analysts helping us uh, uh, from the visual merchandising standpoint. So it wasn't like I was the judge, jury, and executioner. It was obviously a team partnership. But at the end of the day, 
the uh, space management team was the one in charge of what actually went to a store. Uh, and one other big thing that we would look at is is you know what are some items that are right next to this product, which is again it's it's kind of like consumer behavior. You know, do I put um, something like uh, hot sauce and ramen is one thing that comes to my mind. It's one of those things where we have a hot sauce uh, special section and we also have a ramen special section. But in the right store at the right place, at the right price, it's going to move like crazy. And so there's all this data that supports that decision. And it's crazy how it how it works out, because some things you you might go, oh, that's an obvious slam dunk, but the data doesn't actually support it. And other ones where you're like, wow, that's a pretty interesting correlation. I never would have put two and two together. I, I don't know how much hot sauce you put on your ramen, but <laughs> apparently in St. Louis, it's all a hot the hot thing. sauce. <laughs> so, so have you ever got selfish and just like moved a product that you liked to the front of the store so you didn't have to walk back very far? Or am I just, <laughs> uh, you know, oddly enough, there's a, there's a lot of rules around, you know, what goes towards the front and what doesn't. Um, I, it's, there's a lot of things that I would like to have done that are like, man, this would make my shopping trip way easy. Just put it all on the middle shelf and I'll just take my arm out and just scrape it into my <laughs> basket. Um, but no, we, we had to really consider the customer on and how they were going to shop. Um, yeah. Yeah. So if you want to move the, uh, what are they? The, the baked Cheetos. I'm really on those right now. If you'd go ahead and just move those to the front of the store for me, that'd be great. We'll call it the Brian special. Yeah. There you we'll go. Just, yes. have it at, at the checkout just waiting for you. Premium end cap. <laughs> Sweet. Very cool. Okay. Um, so what about tooling? Um, I know that you use all, I was looking at uh, all kinds of different things that you're using. You have such a broad expertise across this industry and, and all the products. Like what's, what's your favorite apps or tools that you're using to get this stuff done? Uh, well, obviously Altrix, I mean, it's, it's the multi-tool, you know, it does everything that I need it to. Um, yeah, I, I studied R, I studied Python, I learned SQL. Uh, all of those are, are great tools, but I'm not, I don't come from a coder background. So a lot of what I did, uh, studying music and all that, I mean, you would record yourself using Pro Tools and some of that is drag and drop and the like. I'm really familiar with, I know how to connect things up just from the music industry aspect of things, connecting guitar cables to amplifiers and, and the like. So using Alteryx was kind of a easy slam dunk for me um, of just going, okay, I'm going to drag this tool in and I'm going to connect it up this way and I should expect this output, let it run. And sure enough, I get what I, I want. Uh, the, the concepts behind it were, uh, they were a little bit difficult to grasp until I used a little bit of R in Python. Cause it, like when you talk about um, regression analysis and all that, there was there was things that I I wasn't aware of. Uh, I, I mean, I could plug it up and I could let it go, but I wasn't understanding the math underneath. And some of those other tools, um, like R Studio and all that, they, they, there's a lot of helpful documents that that were really um, putting me on the right path. But then, you know, even after studying that for a while, I realized that the Alteryx community, there was probably that question was floating out there three, four different times and, and all the information's there for you if you really need it. Um, but from a tool standpoint, yeah, again, I'm going to go back to just dive in and just experiment. You know, you're going to find what you need, um, through the community or through using the helpful pages and, and Alteryx. But, um, I, you, uh, to, to maybe put it a little succinctly, uh, you can't learn guitar without your fingers bleeding a little bit, right? 
Exactly. You got to build up those calluses, baby. Um, same thing, you know, I, I'm a huge, you know, uh, the guitar player for Incubus, uh, Mike Eisinger, I think is his That's name. That's right. Well, there's a, when they were recording Morning View, there's this really cool picture of him um, playing. He's probably got about 50 pedals in front of him. And, you know, growing up, I was like, oh man, I want to get that. Uh, after buying about three or four of those pedals, I'm like, I'll never be able to afford this. But <laughs> the concept is the same. You know, how do you hook this up to get the output that you want, right? And that's similar to what Al- Altrix is. Yeah, no, that's that's fascinating stuff. Um, okay, so I, I also want to, you know, be clear with the listeners. One of the reasons that we, um, you know, you and I got hooked up to do this is because I spied some of your blog posts that were out there and I was just sort of blown away with... Uh, how how insightful and great they were and we'll be sure to link those in the uh, in the show notes at community.altrix.com slash podcast but i wanted to ask you a little bit about those i mean one of one of the interesting ones i saw recently was um it was it was mostly about kind of open-ended questions and like why do you ask them and why is it important to do that and how does that guide um you know the work that you do and the work that other people do so maybe you could uh give us a little bit of flavor about that yeah, just a taste. So, yeah, thank you. By the way, um, Fuzzy Logic, the the blog that I run is it's been you know a short journey so far, but it's been really, really amazing the uh, the response to it. So I got coworkers that are like, "Hey, I read your blog post. It's awesome." I'm like, "Wow, I didn't realize that many people were interested in it. that's that's amazing." You know, I'm hope I'm glad when somebody just gives me just one shout out, much less a, a full podcast. Hey, so um, anyways, the open ended questions. So this was a um actually from a different podcast I had I had, I forget what the name of it was but they were talking about you know how to really tease out questions and they were talking about if you're going to go down this analytical path you want to try to know what kind of question you're going to ask so if you ask this concept of a closed question you're just going to get a short brief answer so who did this John did it how much did it cost $35. But if you ask something like an open-ended question, which usually circles around what or why or how, uh, you'll get a lot more insight before you get started on your analysis. So not only John did something for $35, but how would you do things differently if you had more money? You know, that's a kind of question you can't just answer with one simple phrase. You have to kind of really think through it and uh, give a lot of information. And that's super helpful for analysts because I, I can tell you in the grocery retail business, you know, we want constant reporting and finding out what's going on. But sometimes it's it's not something you can just quickly answer. You have to really tease out a question and say, well, what did you expect out of this? Or how would you do this differently? Or why are we running this promotion this way? Is there anything else we could do different to get a bigger impact? Uh, and even asking yourself that question sometimes, if you if you find yourself on that path, what what else can I do here to to really tell something to the the end user? It goes back to a little bit of that data storytelling. Data storytelling. What is the end user expecting here? Um, and that will really open up your your eyes to to seeing how much you can pull out of just a simple question or a simple report, I should say. Yeah. Now, was that a skill that you always had or did you develop that along the way? Like where, where did that come in for you? Uh, you know, I like to think that I, I kind of had it ingrained without thinking about it. It, it was just one of those things where when I heard it, I go, yeah, that makes total sense. I can't believe I was doing that, but I was doing that. Um, 
I do think it's something you can develop, though. I mean, it's almost like a checklist, like an airplane takeoff list. I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. So I'm going to ask this question, I'm going to ask this question, and I'm going to make sure I ask this question. And if I forget, I'll follow up with another one. Um, it is something, I, I think anything, just like guitar, just like piano, you can teach yourself new skills all the time. You just got to be actively thinking about it and really focus in on it, make it a priority. Um, and just like the the teacher who would slap your hand if you played the wrong note, practice makes perfect. <laughs> yeah. And what do you, what do you say to people? I think, you know, one of the fears people have, especially if they're, um, you know, talking to executives or, or things like that about data, uh, they might be afraid to ask that open-ended question. Cause it's sort of like, you know, the old famous thing about being a lawyer, right? Where like, you don't ask a question you don't know the answer to in front of the audience. How do you, how do you suppose people get over that fear or develop the, um, the, the courage, you know, to, to kind of go in and ask some, some big questions like that. Yeah, that, that's a tougher one. Um, I, being in a band, I, I played in front of a lot of people. And when I first started, I was scared out of my mind. I didn't know how people were going to react to whatever music I was playing. Um, and when I was studying in college, you know, they force you to perform, they force you to do recitals every so often. And, when you are learning a piece of music, something that's pretty in-depth, you're scared out of your mind to play that in front of people. You know you're going to mess up. You know something's going to stumble. You got that thought in your head, like, I'm gonna, this isn't going to go well. But what you'll find is that the more you put yourself out there and the more you try it, the easier it becomes. And, you know, I'm not saying, hey, if you're working at your company right now, go kick down the CEO's door and start asking them questions. But what I am saying is the more opportunities you can to get in front of people to practice that skill, the better and more comfortable you will become at it. You will find yourself being a performer when you didn't know you were a performer. Mm. And um, with, with the questions, sometimes they are difficult questions. You know, if somebody's uh, if the company has invested a bunch of money into a, a major promotion and you are starting to do this analysis and you're starting to see that that promotion wasn't turning out the way that it needed to, you got to ask some pretty difficult questions about what's going on. And sometimes those conversations aren't always the most fun, but you have to have confidence in what you're doing and your analysis and everything else will follow. But um, to practice the skill, you just got to keep putting yourself out there and keep trying to make that FaceTime with whether it's your boss or your boss's boss. And I'm sure that at any company, they're going to support you in that because they want to see you to be successful. They don't want you to be, you know, hiding in the corner, afraid to ask questions. They want you to go to boldly go where no one's gone before. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, all right. Anything else you wanted to, you wanted to get out here for our audience, other, other topics you wanted to hit on. Um, so I talk about, analysis and, and music as a language. And, and I still, I stick firmly by that. I, I, you know, I've seen people at my company who have really excelled and it's because they, they're really active in what they're doing. You know, it's not something you just haphazardly stumble across. So, uh, I'm a huge fan of, of giving recommendations for, you know, what else can you do to, to learn it? So learn analysis or learn music or whatever you're trying to do. Um, just like if you were trying to learn a language, you know, you go to a foreign country and you're more likely to absorb that really, really quick. Well, visit websites and visit the places online that that openly talk about this. So um, I'm a huge fan of the Alteryx community for for the mere fact of it's the main tool I use every day and everything's completely relevant to me. 
Um, but I also would recommend places like um, Data Camp and R Bloggers and even Twitter, just because if you find some of the Ultrix Aces out there, they're always active on Twitter. And even if I'm not really participating, I'm kind of just like scrolling through my timeline there. Um, some of the stuff they put out is not only insightful, but it's also hilarious. So you can also get a, a nerdy chuckle out of them from uh, every time to time, which is which is great. All right, great. So let's talk about community picks. What have you found interesting or what do you find interesting out there that other people should be uh, looking at in the community? All right, so I, I, I got three big ones for everybody. Um, the number one thing I can recommend to anybody that's new to the community is just try the challenges. Absolutely love the weekly challenges. Um, I try to find ones, uh, you have an index out there for everybody. So you can pick some beginner ones, some intermediate, some advanced, but just try your hand at them. And that's the best way to learn is to actually have a, a useful question. How close is this? Or how much did this cost? Or, uh, any of the other, other crazy questions I get asked too. I think there was something about maybe pop tarts and beer at one point in time, either way. Uh, that's, that's my favorite am- one for sure. <laughs> that's, that's an amazing, uh, amazing tool that I haven't seen anywhere else. Uh, the, the challenges, the other part is the tool mastery index. So I can't tell you how many times I've gotten that page just brought up as soon as I log in, because I feel pretty comfortable with a lot of tools on Altrix, but there might be a couple specifics I want to look up. And so I use that index a lot to kind of peruse through and, and learn more about the tools I'm already using. Uh, and they also include sample workflows and whatnot. So it's extremely useful for anybody trying to learn some of this stuff. Uh, and then last but not least is the user group pages. So uh, I am actually a St. Louis user group leader, believe it or not. Shout out to STL. Um, but be a part of those community groups, those user groups, because just like I was saying before, you know, it's a language and find like people that speak that language. And nothing is better than actually meeting face to face the same people uh, you could talk to online, but you can go talk to them in person about how to use Alteryx and ask questions. Yeah. Thank you so much for being a, a user group leader. Those are, those are so crazy valuable. And, uh, if I might also suggest, um, maybe you should show the pop tart and beer pairing weekly challenge to your organization and see maybe if we can't get those two items moved to the front of the store together. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. I just had to get my, had to get my plug in there. Um, <laughs> so the, the, I'm actually going to piggyback off your, what you were saying about user groups in, in a slightly different way. I was fortunate enough to be in Denver, uh, and at one of their most recent user group meetings and they had Alexandra Mannerings, uh, there and she did this wonderful presentation. Uh, we'll make sure we link to this in the show notes, but basically Alexandra had put together this really great use case that she posted on the community and she ended up actually winning uh, one of the excellence awards at Inspire Anaheim this year. And I don't want to spoil it for you, but basically she works at a hospital organization and she was tasked with finding out how they could reduce the reliance on prescription opioids and the analysis that she did and the story that she told and the results that she had around this were just, uh, completely amazing. And there was, you know, like 50, 60, 70 people at this user group meeting and every, you could just tell like everybody's minds were blown when she was like showing this off and explaining the impact that they had. So I'll put the link to that in the show notes. Um, definitely a really cool thing to check out. And the other one, um, that I would like to know is, uh, what is your favorite, what's your favorite user group moment? Like what's the, what's, what's the big aha that you had around that? 
are you are you talking about just you know going to these user groups and, and meeting people or are you talking about some analysis that somebody has shown? Because I mean, all of the above, all, man. What's all, hit, all, hit me with the all deets? Of, all of all of the above. Um, and I, I'm actually active in a couple different user groups, and I can say that the Altrix one uh, is is really interesting in that you get a lot of different backgrounds. So if you go to, you know. Uh, our user group meetup or a Tableau user group meetup, you, you'll, you'll get a variety there, but a lot of these people have a really heavy background in statistics or, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to one where somebody's like, yeah, I've got my PhD in uh, mathematics. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I've got a BS in uh, business administration. That's awesome. You know, I'm nowhere <laughs> near that level. I have but a BS the, in BS. Yeah, I have a BS in BS. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, like the, the Altrix user group, you're going to find people that are just kind of interested, um, but they might not have that that technical background or they might not have a, a mathematical background, but you can still pull insights from each other. So you can go, hey, what are you working on? And somebody might mention something about healthcare or somebody might mention about transportation insights and or you run across someone like me and learn about grocery retail. You know, there's there's all kinds of stuff going on there. But I, I think that the the actual community aspect of meeting those people are are the best those are connections and, and networking opportunities is you're going to be hard to find anywhere else. Um, and as for an analysis, I mean, I've seen some of the cool things that people have done with Altrix and Tableau and it's just blown me away. I'm still fascinated today. I, I mean, I, every time I see something come up where somebody did some kind of spatial analytics and they, they visualize it in a really cool way that drives me to want to learn more and more about spatial each time. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for your time and thanks for being on. Thank you. This is awesome. All right. Well, and folks, uh, for those of you listening again, community.altrix.com slash podcast is where you go to get all the show notes and everything we talked about today. And uh, our thanks to Maddie Johansson, who produced this episode. Okay, Andrew. So I, I have a, I have a serious question to ask you. Yes. So you were, you were a musician. You are a musician. Um, you play, you play guitar and piano and it sounds like mm -hmm. a few other things as well. Um, let's, let's hone in on the guitar part there. So what's your, what's your favorite guitar that you own or have owned? I have a GNL ASAT special. Mm. Um, it's made by, uh, basically once Leo Fender left Fender, he came up with this GNL brand and it's a mix between a Telecaster and a Stratocaster. So basically, if, you, if you've ever played a Fender, you've played something like this. Um, it's a jazz-style guitar with uh, the F-hole semi-hollow. Oh, mm -hmm. it's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. It's gorgeous. Um, but that is that is by far, uh, that's been my workhorse. So every time I play anything on electric, I'll play that. I, I do have, um, I had to study classical in, in college. So I have a Pavan. Um, which is just I I don't know how well known how well known that guitar line is, but it's a really nice classical guitar. In fact, my wife uh, she she does photography and she's like that is the guitar I'm going to take a picture of and, and hang on the wall <laughs> so everybody can see it because it's just so pretty. Yeah, they're they're great art. They can be great art. Um, yeah, 
Yeah. So back in the day, uh, here's, here's something people don't know. Uh, back in the day I was a minor YouTube celebrity and, and by minor, I mean, not even on the map minor, but, uh, <laughs> I was, I, I got into guitar and my thing was I made a lot of videos about gear. You were talking about gear earlier, mm-hmm. um, being sort of a techie kind of a guy. Uh, I of course went out and spent every dollar that I made for a number of years on, you know, amps and effect pedals and guitars and as you like, should, as yeah, you should. like we should have just like routed my paycheck straight to the guitar <laughs> store. Um, and so I started making these videos and I don't really know why, you know, I, I just, I think because of who I am, I had this need to share and I started making these videos. And, um, at some point I had amassed like three or 4 million views on across all of these, these videos that I was making. Um, they're no longer up there. I kind of took a lot of them down cause it's just sort of a, you know, it's a past part of my life, but, uh, it was, it was a great experience. And, you know, I, I hope that, uh, you know, I hope that those were valuable to some people and maybe got some people into music, but, uh, I, I totally learned to play guitar over YouTube. I never had a single, you know, um, lesson or any (laughs) professional tell me what to do. Um, kind of to your point earlier in the show, you were talking about that, about just jumping right in and that was it, man. Um, YouTube, YouTube learning is, is pretty crazy. Yeah. uh, That's a very real thing. You know, it's, it's funny. I think about all the lessons I paid for, and then I see all the stuff that exists now and I'm like, oh man, I probably could have just like <laughs> split that in half and learned it, you know, online. It, but, you know, people learn different ways. And that's what's really fascinating to me is like, I'm a pretty visual learner. So if I see it on a, you see it on screen, uh, see it on YouTube or something, I could probably pick it up pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew people that they didn't even have to see you play it. They could just hear it and they mm. would know. And that, uh, again, those are the, the, that's in line with the same people as like the five-year-old kids that learn to play <laughs> eruption. You're like, oh, you make me sick, you know, but it's just, it's just fascinating how, you know, as human beings, we can have all these different levels of learning and some people are, are very visual and some people have to have things like broken down in every which way before they can absorb it. And others are like, you show it to me once and I got it. So, so it sounds like you're, you're more of an electric guitar type of man is, is what, what I'm hearing. Are you, I'm do you a jam jack. on acoustic? Are you, I, I'm a jack of all trades. Okay. Um, so when I'm, I'm sitting around the house, um, just because I don't like to have wires, I'll, I'll jam on acoustic or classical, but right. every now and then I've got, um, a multi effects pedal and, and all this little gear floating around that I'll plug into and, and have a session. Just go crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So my thing was after I amassed all that gear and then sort of, you know, came and went in and out of that a couple of times and, you know, simplified my setup. My thing was I got really into the loop stations uh, and just sort of doing like the one man jam band thing. Oh, yeah. um, with my uh, I have a Taylor uh, 414 CE, I believe it is. Um, That's my actually the only guitar that I still have left. I just got rid of everything and I just jam on that. But I, I love that style of music of just like one person sitting there cranking out sounds and, mm-hmm. um, you know, for, for anybody who's still listening to this, uh, <laughs> uh, definitely go to YouTube and like just search for, uh, you know, loop station videos. And I think, you know, what's really cool is I saw a couple months ago, um, Oh, what's his name? The really, the, the popular guy. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, him. Yeah, <laughs> him, the popular guy. What's his name? Um, uh, his album, his latest album has an X on it or divide. 
multiply. Oh, Ed Sheeran? Ed Sheeran. I noticed he was, I, I don't know how I didn't come up with Ed Sheeran without you telling me that's, that's sad. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Ed Sheeran has a bunch of songs where he does that. And I think it's cool because that's kind of bringing that into the mainstream. Like I think he did it at some award shows and people I saw on like Twitter the next day were like, oh my God, that's incredible. Did Ed invent this? And it's like, no, that's, that's been going on a while, but it is cool that that's sort of becoming a style that's um, you know, a lot of people like, and it, it kind of takes the pressure off to go, you know, find a band. Not that, you know, that's a bad thing, but, uh, for, for people who kind of want to sit at home and, and rock out, you know, in their living room, um, loop stations are a, a beautiful thing. Oh yeah. I mean, I would actually, as I was teaching, I would tell my students, if you can afford it, get one because it's a great practice tool as well. Yeah. You know, if you're trying to learn to play like a Johnny Cash song and make sure that you're on time and on beat and can play the little, you know, little solos and all that, you could just loop it one time and then practice playing the solo over it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great at, at, you know, training yourself on on that. And that, actually, I think my jazz guitar teacher is the one that, that turned me on to those at first. I had heard about them, but I'd never really mess with them that much. Um, but man, they're yeah, absolutely. A lot of fun because you can just come up with whatever and it can get prettier and prettier the more you keep adding on the loop. Uh, I think there's actually a guy in St. Louis who was at one point the loop station like grandmaster. It was yeah, like a world. I know they have championships and stuff like that. Yeah, he went down to like Australia to to play in the finals or something like that. Uh, where, you, you know, he had a drum kit hooked up and he would loop it all and then he would play the. It, it's crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not quite that talented. I, I like to throw chords and, and solos and stuff together, but I don't think I could do like all at once seamlessly. Like I've seen other people do. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty hardcore. Yeah. 